Hey everyone, welcome to Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast meant to strengthen our personal connections with Jesus Christ, as well as deepen our appreciation for His role in our Heavenly Father's universal plan of salvation. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is here with me. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into uh, let's get into this week's scripture block. Here we are again. Yep, ready to do it. Absolutely. Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm Brother Ricks, Brother Black, and we're here with Take a Second for Come Follow Me. Uh, we usually, do you remember when we started with the idea that we would keep this at 15 minutes? Uh-huh. I don't think we've had in 10 episodes. I don't think we've had one <laughs> at 15 minutes or less. Um, but you're welcome to only watch 15 minutes if you want. Or speed one and a half. <laughs> That's right. Um, so today we've got John two, three, four. Yes. For this week, and uh, I I said last time, or I guess two weeks ago, John's one of my favorite. John's John's my favorite of the of the Gospels, and one of my favorite books of Scripture altogether. Um, this is as we get into the book of John, it's going to be really evident really quick what he's trying to do early on is to show all of the things that Jesus did that proved he was divine, yep. that proved that he was the son of God and that he had godlike attributes and abilities and so and a physical body. Yeah, we're going to show we're going to start with signs or miracles that mm-hmm. that kind of establish that. Um, throughout the book of John, you've got seven major miracles not counting the resurrection. And uh, and we'll start we'll hit uh, two of those today. Awesome. Uh, you want to start in two? Yeah, you bet. We started I started uh, at the end last time and moved sure. forward. Let's just do a regular, do it in chronological <laughs> order this time. All right, John two. So uh, in verse one, um, the, the other thing too that I can't remember if we mentioned this with uh, with John is John mentions a lot of the he's ninety two percent unique compared mm-hmm. to the other gospels, um, but he also writes a lot more of what's happening in uh, Judea than Galilee. However, this is one of the Galilean story yes. when they're up in Canaan. Um, and so in, in verse one, it says, and the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there and they, Jesus and his disciples all go to it. Um, and, uh, in, uh, I guess, and I, I like math a lot and I know I shouldn't, and I know people are now going to shut this off because they heard math <laughs> and the gospel together at the same time. We're going to keep it simple, man. We're gonna, it, it really is. Uh, in verse six, it says, uh, so they, they have no wine. And Jesus says, uh, in verse four, he says, woman, what have I to do with thee now? Today, I, I think this is just one of those examples where it's important to just understand that times are different and words that we use today yep. are not always the same as the words that they used back then and vice versa. This is one of those examples that in 2023, people are like, this is a bit sexist. It's not. Yeah. This is Jesus. Disrespectful. There's, there, and... Yes. There is no way that Jesus is going to be disrespectful to his mother yep. at, at all. Yeah, this is one of those times where as you read the text, you have to st- you have to start with what you know about Christ first. Yes. Be- before, kind of you allow today's contextual, uh, the the, con- the contextual or cultural stigma apply yes. to the verse. And and can I say that skill that you just mentioned is a great one for studying the scriptures, yep. for reading the scriptures, for teaching the scriptures. That the the better you can do that to start like okay, what do I know about Jesus right now? Everything. Okay, putting this one aside and then putting that in. How does that fit in here? I, I think that's pretty cool. And and maybe a couple of thoughts of how I would relate that here. Uh, but regarding the math, in verse 6, there was set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, um, containing two or three firkins apiece. Now, a quick Google search or a study <laughs> could get you to understand that one firkin is about nine gallons. Mm-hmm. So that these things contain 18 to 27 gallons 
of water, and there's six of them. So you could do the math, and if you're teaching this to kids or if you're teaching this to a class, you could bring in like maybe some milk jugs. If you wanted to bring in a whole bunch or oh, man. take a picture and kind of visualize how much is Jesus really doing here? This isn't like sprinkling a little bit in the cup and be like, all right, let's see if we get them here. But this is like, this is a lot of, uh, of, of wine. And uh, he says, give it to the governor of the feast. They bear it to him. And then verse nine is probably like my favorite one. It says, when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. Now kids today are going to appreciate this more. This is like a winking face at the end of it. There's a semicolon and, a, and an end parentheses. And I had marked this years before people were sending emojis in my scriptures. And, and the idea is like, but the servants knew, like, wink, wink, wink. like we, we knew exactly what was up. And every groom at the, every, sorry, every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This is the part that I would say, uh, first of all, it's important to understand these, these weddings took days. Mm -hmm. And so they would drink for a couple of days. And so if they're going to get drunk, you would give people the good wine at the beginning. So at the end, they don't remember what they're drinking. Mm -hmm. That's what they're saying here. Yep. But then you, you, when you just change this for us and you say, okay, what am I learning about Jesus here? Well, Jesus saves the best for last. What does that mean about this dispensation? What does that mean about the youth and the young adults today? What does that mean about what President Nelson has said about them? Mm. I, I love that. I, I think the, another one is Jesus can take ordinary things and turn them into great things. Mm. Water is very ordinary. But this wine is like, this is the best I've ever had. Uh, I jotted down just a couple, of, a couple other things that Jesus can change us into something better when we do what we, he asks. Mm. When I'm willing to do what he wants first, I, I think that's so cool. And my two other little thoughts about this are uh, in verse one, it says the third day. You could relate this back to Genesis and what happens on the third day of creation. And you could say, okay, what happened? Well, that's when Jesus is separating dry land from water. from the water. And you're like, well, what's he doing here? He's in control of the water. This isn't new. This is Jesus who created. He is the creator. And then you think of on that same day uh, in Genesis, it mentions that um, seeds and fruit are oh, fruit wine. Mm -hmm. What are we, what are we getting right here? And I, I love that connection. And and you and I talked a minute earlier that uh, this is the first of the miracles yeah. that Jesus did. And I I can't remember if this is a Joseph Smith story. It for sure is my mission president story. So he either repeated it because he remembered the story. But somebody asked Joseph Smith. They said, "What was the very first miracle Jesus did?" And they're trying to trick him, and he said, "He created the earth." So my mission president, I, we had a big, uh, this is in Toronto, had a big meeting with, uh, invited a, pastors and ministers from other churches and kind of a question and answer thing. And there, it turned pretty good. And there were some hostile moments that people were trying to trick him up and stuff. And somebody asked my mission president, they're like, what was the first miracle Jesus did? And my mission president, without blinking, said he created the world. And they're like, oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> like, he's like, if you want me to say that he changed water into wine, I can say that too. But don't forget who this really is. Yeah, is. And when we remember that, when all of the stories of the Savior, I think that makes it more meaningful. Like this isn't, it, it's neat because it's small, it's unique. This is a tender mercy moment for Jesus and for the disciples. But it's also, don't forget who Jesus is. He's the one who on the third day created. And I, I love those two little thoughts. With well, that. and I think that's what John's trying to get to is this is, and, and I'm trying to prove that in the flesh, this Jesus yeah. is that Jehovah. Yeah. This is the, this is one and the same. Um, I I just did some looking and and some searching into some other uh, 
in, into the Greek. I'm not a I'm not a scholar or a, I, I don't I can't speak Greek. I can't read Greek. It's we all Greek. Greek. It's all Greek <laughs> to me, right? But there are some cool apps out there that if you get the Strong's numbers yeah. and, and you don't have to be a scholar to be able to use those kinds of uh, devices. On my iPad, I have a an app called eSword that I really like. It's got a whole bunch of different versions of the Bible. That some, a lot of them are free. Some of them are paid for. Uh, this is not a sponsored video. But yeah, this is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This is yeah. In fact, I, the makers of eSword probably wouldn't want to be on a Latter-day Saint <laughs> podcast anyway. But I, I do like uh, one of the versions that's free is the King James version plus the Strong's concordance, which kind of lets you know this word in English comes from this word in Greek, and then it's got a quick link and it can show you everywhere else that that word occurs. Yep. And I was we were talking about this. I'm fascinated with the with what was going on with the King James translators when they got to this part of John and they're translating. Uh, let me see if I can pull this up really quick. So in verse 11, the word that uh, the word that is translated into miracles in Greek is semion. Uh, I say everything with a Spanish accent because <laughs> that's where I served. Uh, but semion, and it, it can be used. It, it's not. It's not like it's a wrong translation. It can be used as miracle. But it can also be used as sign, token, or wonder. Now, it's used in the King James Version. In Greek, it's in the New Testament 77 times. And what's fascinating to me is every time in the three Gospels before Luke, every single time it shows up except for once, it's translated into sign. And then what's interesting is when you get into John, all of a sudden, they make this change. At the end of Luke, Luke 24 is the first time in the New Testament where this Greek word is translated into miracle, and then throughout John, they kind of bounce back and forth. But a lot of some of the current translators uh, who are doing more contemporary versions of the Bible as they're looking back, they're changing this word miracles to signs because it just it fits with kind of the context of how it's being used in other places. I'd love to sit down with the King James translators and, and understand. I don't think anything malicious is done here. I just, right. For some reason, they had a, a shift and they start using miracles instead of signs, and I'd love to know why. Um, but before we leave the this sign or this miracle, I, I've I had a, I had a thought that I've not ever had before with verse nine, and the servants. Uh, several of the translations, especially some of the more current translations, are starting to introduce in verse nine. They they're inserting the word now, so it reads something to this effect: When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was now made wine. And knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. So that idea is that the, when the when the servants took the water out, when they drew it out of the pots, it was still wine. Or sorry, it was still it was still water. And that it doesn't become wine until the master of the ceremonies takes it. And that's when it becomes. And it it reminded me of this quote from Elder Bednar in his talk, Seeking Learning, Seek Learning by Faith. Elder Bednar talking about Joshua and crossing the River Jordan yeah. says we find a powerful example of the interaction among assurance, action, and evidence as the children of Israel transported the Ark of the Covenant under the leadership of Joshua. Recall how the Israelites came to the River Jordan and were promised the waters would part, and they would be able to cross over on dry ground. Interestingly, the waters did not part as the children of Israel stood on the banks of the river waiting for something to happen. Rather, the soles of their feet were wet before the water parted. The faith of the Israelites was manifested in the fact that they walked into the water 
before it parted. They walked into the River Jordan with a future-facing assurance of things hoped for. As the Israelites moved forward, the water parted, and as they crossed over on dry land, they looked back and beheld the evidence of things not seen. And, and I just think that Elder Bednar's description of the Israelite faith standing on the River Jordan also describes the faith of these servants. When Jesus says, hey, take this, take this over to the head, to the the governor or the the master of the ceremonies probably one of the most prestigious or the one with the most clout at this event certainly yeah he's the one that's he's the guest of honor he's who you would serve first and so the savior says to these servants hey take this up to to the to the guest of honor the one in the in it, probably in this circle if not in this little village one of the most important people there. This is like the governor or the mayor or, you know. President, the whatever, president. yeah. Yeah, what, the leader of the synagogue. Whatever role he had, he's important. And the Savior's saying, hey, take him some water. And and to just add to that, they're the ones who filled up the water pot. They know. They they took wink, water. Wink. Yeah, the, they, they're the ones who put the water in there. So they know that nothing has happened to it. Yes, and, and I think that's the incredible part of that as well. Yeah, so I, I think, at least for me personally, I, maybe everybody else has already hit on this in their own studies, but something new for me this week with Come Follow Me is the faith of the servants to, you know, earlier on, Mary says, do whatever he says. Well, that's easier said than done. Like, okay, I'll do whatever he says because he's going to give us wine. But when he's asking me to take water to this person of, uh, of prestigious notoriety, that's a different story, yeah. and and wow, kudos to them. Like that's the kind of faith that we require. Often it's not, it's not until we take the steps. It's not until our feet are wet, like Elder Bednar said, that we see the the, the miracle or the sign. And, and as the saying goes, faith precedes the miracle. Yep. Right. And and that's that's verse eleven. This is the beginning of miracles or signs mm-hmm. that faith precedes the sign. It's. People in the scriptures who get that flipped the other way, show us the miracle, show us the sign, then and we'll then I'll have faith, mm-hmm. and then I'll follow, that it doesn't work like that. And this is just, uh, add this to this huge list of examples yeah. of you have to put faith first, yeah. and then it happens. And then that's when the Jesus makes ordinary extraordinary, mm-hmm. and Jesus takes things that are common and makes them ab- above and beyond and the greatest. And, and that's, have faith with that for you first yes yep yeah this they're not included but they could have been added to the acts the 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 list of people that paul lists out in hebrews 11 or that moroni lists out in ether when when they're describing all these people who acted first you know the moroni principle from ether 12 that it's after the trial of your faith well the trial of their faith is walking up to the to the governor with With a cup with a cup of water and they know it's water because it was water when they put it in, and it was water when they took it out. It's somewhere else in the transitioning of it. And it's, I, you go back to the Bible dictionary, no, faith, no miracle is performed or no sign is shown until a demonstration of faith. The demonstration of faith isn't filling it with water. It's not even taking it out. It's that, it's that moment where you put your reputation on the line and you hand the cup of water to the governor. And that says, I trust Jesus. Yep. That, those are the moments that all of us have in life where yeah. we have to say, I trust him. I he trust him more me, than what I, I see, yeah. what I know, what I, what I feel like I, he is preeminent in, in, in my, in my, in my life. And, and frankly, when we do that, we see miracles. Yeah. I, lo- I love that. I don't know. There, there's a lot in these, these, these three yeah, chapters. These, I don't these know these if you want to keep going here in John, John three. Uh, uh, there's let's he just cleanses, say one thing about the cleansing. The temple. Yeah. Like 
John puts it at the beginning. All the other gospel writers put it at the end. There's the distinct possibility that it could be he could have cleansed it twice. twice. Yeah. And so just know that as you go through here, um, the cleansing of the temple could be handled at either at the beginning of the ministry, the end of the ministry, or both. And, and it's likely that for our podcast purposes and, and for this, we'll probably talk about it later yeah, on. we'll talk about it in that last week. Yep. Mm-hmm. Chapter 3, Nicodemus. Yeah, I started last time. Okay, I, so there's some things about Nicodemus that I think are really fascinating. He's a ruler among the Jews. We're not really sure what that means. It, Sanhedrin it could be or something else. Yeah. It could be among a, a local a local synagogue. Uh, but he comes to Jesus. But isn't it cool night. that the last one is a governor and now you and have now another ruler? Yes. That you know. Wait, why do you think John's pointing that out? I, I, I don't know because it's so unique that we, we talked about – how the first people that Jesus is getting, he's, they're fishermen and they're old ladies and they're young moms. And like, those are his disciples. And now Jesus is saying like, okay, I, I showed you that end of the spectrum. Here's the other end of yeah. the spectrum. And that means everybody Everyone else. Between. I'm, I'm collecting everybody yeah, here. It's the parable of the net, right? The, yes. I'm going to draw all out, the fishes. They're all coming whoever in. Whoever comes in. Yeah. Uh, I like when, when the first thing Nicodemus says to him in verse three, uh, or sorry, in verse two, the same came to Jesus by night. Now, a lot of people have made a, a big deal about night. Uh, is it Spencer W. Kimball that says maybe he came to him by night because he's busy? Maybe he's not trying to be yeah. sneaky and he's not trying to be, you know, conciliatory or whatever. I and, and yeah, so free time. yeah, it's the only free time he has. And it could have been I didn't want to get caught by. It. It I don't really could be either one. Yep. It's just interesting he points it out. And verse two, he says, Rabbi or teacher. So he Master, starts with yeah. this this term of respect. And then he says, we know thou art a teacher come from God. I want to know who the we is. Mm-hmm. Is there a group within the Sanhedrin? Is there, you know, is, is there people that are with him that have come? Like, who is the we? But he says, we know you're a teacher come from God. How do we know? Because of the things you're doing. This is, And this is John's purpose. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you all the things that, that Jesus did that told, like Nicodemus, when you see Jesus doing these things, you know the only way he can do them is if he's the son of God. And then, uh, verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter into the second time of his mother's womb and be born? I just think this is, when I was teaching seminary, we would always kind of joke, like, what a dumb question. Of course you can't be born again. Of course you can't enter into the womb and come out again. That's obviously not what the Savior was teaching. But I think it gives an insight to the, the literalness with which the, the, the Jews had been, especially the scholars, had been schooled. Yeah. You see, I, that's not, Nicodemus is not a dumb person. No. And so, as much as we wanna be like, what a stupid question, I think it gives an important insight to the literal nature of the Pharisees in that day. And, and you see that in their rules. You can only go so many steps on a Sabbath day. Tailors can't have a needle in their clothes because that's an instrument of work. And you can't set an egg next to a fire because it might cook. Like they were ve- they, they were a very literal people, which if we're not careful, you know, Jacob's warning, why did the Jews miss Jesus? They missed him because they looked, looked beyond the, the mark. mark yeah. And part of looking beyond the mark was you, you were so literal in your interpretations of everything that you miss the symbolic meanings of, of these Old Testament prophets. And as Latter-day Saints, sometimes we got to be careful of not doing the same thing, of being so literal when we read these scriptures or when we read our patriarchal blessings that, you know, we read a patriarchal blessing and we're like, oh, mine didn't get fulfilled. There's a part in my patriarchal blessing, and, and my wife and I have had this conversation several times. There's a, there's a whole paragraph, at least half a paragraph in my patriarchal blessing, that I don't like. 
because I read it and I'm like, I blew it. I didn't. It says in there very specifically, <laughs> seek these, and I didn't. And so if we're if we're not if I'm not careful and I'm and I'm Pharisaical in my way of reading my patriarchal blessing, I can almost dismiss the whole patriarchal blessing because well that didn't happen. Uh, I think it was President Faust, and and I think we've maybe mentioned this on a previous podcast, but about the daughter about the daughters or sons. Whichever. He's told yeah. he's told he will have a house full of daughters. And he has only sons, and he realizes later on when his sons all marry and bring daughters-in-law into the home, that that's how that fulfill that that part of the blessing was fulfilled. So we have to be careful that we don't become Pharisaical. And then Jesus, well, can, can you also see then too when Jesus and we haven't even gotten into any of them yet, but when Jesus is then going to start giving parables, the reason that they would struggle a lot with them, yeah, that they would miss them and misinterpret them, why they misunderstood who he was, if. They lit, read very literally the Old Testament, mm-hmm. which we just finished up this last year, mm-hmm. that they would say, well, this doesn't fit with what I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's sometimes in our in our lives that we do ourselves a disservice by going in with a preconceived, I expect God to do this because this, this, this. And you're like, well, if God wants to do something else with you, and that's why people struggle with, well, why did this happen at this time to me at this? and Or whatever the question starts going down that path. And it's if it's a little bit different than what we expect or how we interpret it, we struggle with it more. Yeah. And and that's that's one of these issues here that, and you'll get this with a billion questions that they ask Jesus, mm-hmm. that they're like, we can't die. We got to eat your flesh. What are you saying? Mm-hmm. They, and they miss the whole thing, just like Nicodemus just, just like he does here. And again, remember, Nicodemus is one of the most intellectual, educated individuals amongst the Jews. Yeah. So uh, the Savior then goes on to kind of clarify and say, well, I, I'm not talking about being born of, uh, of women. I'm, tra- I'm talking about being born of the Spirit. He says, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And then he gives this great analogy as the wind. And, and I, it seems like, is it President Packer who says, you know, you can use any analogy you want, but the analogy the Savior chooses when talking about the Spirit is the wind. And yeah. you, you don't always know where it's coming from or where it's going, but you know it's there. And in Idaho, you really know it's there because <laughs> the Spirit, too. This week, when, this week when temperatures are, you know, you look at the temperature and it's negative 15 or negative 20. That's not the real story because you got to scroll down a little bit on the on the feels weather app like. <laughs> and look for the feels like temperature because it's negative 35 or negative 40. Um, but he uses this analogy of the wind to describe the spirit and that you can't really you can't see where it's coming from you can't see what's causing it. All I know is that it always blows in Idaho, which might make Idaho a more <laughs> spiritual place, at least to us, <laughs> at least to those who are willing to put up with negative 20 degree temperatures. So I, I love the Savior's, I, that analogy of, of connecting the spirit to the wind uh, and so it just helping Nicodemus recognize that we're talking about a different kind of birth and this, uh, this idea of baptism is essential. And I think as a Latter-day Saint, as we read this, we want to say, like, this is the Savior's words himself saying, you can't get into the kingdom of heaven without being baptized. And this is some of the doctrinal foundation that we have to say that baptism is essential and yeah. it's necessary. Yeah. And and just with that, I, I think for a teaching idea, but also a connection from what we've been talking about now, that you connect, ask your family, ask your students this, this question about when have you seen the Spirit kind of be like the wind? Mm-hmm where you recognized it fast, or maybe you didn't recognize it till later on. And 
uh, as you make those connections to, especially when you didn't see God's hand initially. I, you and I both love Island Park. That's one of our yep, favorite places to go. And um, I guarantee you, I still have pine needles in all of my cars that I've driven to Island Park from our cabin, you park underneath them. And there's pine trees everywhere up in Island Park and just on the dash and I go home and it's always muddy and stuff. And so I'll wash off the cars and stuff and I don't get them all. There was wind that was occurring that then I saw the evidence of before I could actually see the wind. You don't see the wind. You, you see often it. see the evidence of it. And I, I feel like sometimes the spirit is like that. God's hand in our lives is certainly like that, that we see evidence of it more than we can actually perhaps recognize it in the moment. You don't see wind. You see it how, how it affects the trees and how it blows pine needles down. You see the evidence of that. And then as you make that connection, making sure that you understand that he's there, even though you don't always feel it yeah. or that you don't always see it, I should say. Yeah, I think one question that I would ask in teaching this, if whether it's family setting or a gospel doctrine or just a group of friends sitting around, I think it'd be fascinating to hear the the answers of of my friends, if it would to the question, you know, what does it look like? Who are the who are the people in your life that you feel confident have the spirit, and what are the evidences? Yeah. Like, w- what does it look like to have the spirit with you in the 21st century? Um, you know, in, in 2023, what are some of the things that people with the spirit do? What are some of the things that people with the spirit don't do? Um, I would love to have that conversation with my teenagers. Yeah. At school, as you're walking yeah. the halls, how do you know which of your friends have the Spirit? And you can't know perfectly, and I'm not trying to ask you to judge, but what are some of the evidences of the Spirit? Can, can I tell you a story that I haven't told you yet, and it's about your son? Oh, boy. <laughs> which one? Chase. Chase, okay. Uh, I went snowboarding with uh, on Saturday with okay. my, my mission friend who lives up in Rexburg, and uh, we rode up uh, the chairlift and with the ski patrol kid. And uh, we were talking to him, and just by the way that he was speaking, couldn't see his face. I don't even know his name, but we asked him where he lived. He said, I live in Shelly. And I said, oh, I, I know. I said, do you know? Uh, and I, he had told us he was, he was younger, that he was uh, less than 20. And he's, I said, do you know Chase Ricks? He said, yeah, I know. He's in my ward. I'm like, oh, you know them, Brian. I'm like, hey, oh, we do a podcast I, I know together. Who, he's like, I know who he's you're a, talking he's about. He's a podcast guy. And he said, I love Chase Ricks. And I said, ah, oh, cool. I, I'm like, I, I like him a lot, too. He's a, he's a great young man. He said, Every time, sports, football, basketball, anything, anytime anybody swears, he's like, ah, watch your mouth. He stops them instantly. And I that's think that's, good to know. That is a, that's a good thing. And he didn't learn it from his dad. No, no just he didn't learn it from his dad. But what a cool example. He definitely example. got that from his mom, in case you're wondering. Um, but what a cool example of, you. he might not even know it. And that, that might not be a story that you even know, but to his teammates yeah. and the students that he's around, uh, as he participates in athletics, He's he's wants to be that example hmm. of the spirit. I, anyways, that's kind of a cool that's story. That's kind of cool. Yeah, uh, evidences of uh, his mom's teachings working. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else in three? No, let's go to four. That's right, a great let's one. get there. Yeah, you, we got to spend some time here. Um, all right, your turn. All right, you get to kick off on. I uh, <clears throat> th- this is a lot of people's favorite. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the New Testament is is. Uh, when you when you are teaching this to to sisters to wives to to daughters, uh, they love any interaction of Jesus with women, mm-hmm. um, just like most men love. Ah, I love Captain Marona. I love Ammon. You know, yeah. <laughs> things like yeah, that. We just like yeah, stories like this or the woman with the issue of blood. There's just a connection mm-hmm. where it just feels so real. 
Um, but so I, one thing ahead. I just want to say in Please. saying that, as you as you as you lay this out, um, Brother Southwick pointed out at the beginning of the summer or at the beginning of the school year last semester that um, this account is it's one of the only accounts we have of the Savior, maybe the only account of the Savior that we have one on one. There's nobody else there with him, and so I. This is one of those stories that I'm like, kind of like the temptations. How did how did John right. find out about this? Right. Is this something that Jesus said, "Hey, I want you to write this in"? Is this something that he learns about post-resurrection that through the Spirit, or is this something that he learns about while he's walking around? Right. You know. Um, and it's also the longest account. Yeah. More verses spent one-on-one in conversation in conversation with this individual than anyone else in the New Testament in the Gospels. Mm. Uh, but Jesus, but with Jesus and anyone else, and I, I think that's significant. I, I think, Absolutely. I think that's important to understand as we as we dive into the the verses. Yeah, and and we had mentioned this too with Nicodemus. First of all, his his interaction shorter, um, and when he says we, we're like, is he by himself or is he with other people? We don't know. This one though, it really sounds no. like it's just them, mm-hmm. right? And uh, with this, I I, I think. Uh, it's important to point out who Jesus spends time with. He seeks after the fringe people, mm-hmm. people that maybe aren't your traditional, just regular old cookie cutter Jewish people back then. This is uh, he, in verse four. He must go through Samaria. Then he finds a woman. And later on, you figure out that she's not living a very chaste life. And so she's the Samaritans and the Jews hate each other. Mm-hmm. So you have that strike against it. It's a man approaching a woman. Well, that's a little different here. So that's another strike against him. And then a woman who's definitely a sinner yeah. and it, it, and admits as much. The, again, Jesus seeking out the French people. But um, in, in verse 6, I, one of the things I, I love to understand about this is uh, it says Jesus. Uh, now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. You do the math. You figure out this is noon. Now, if your job was to collect water, you probably wouldn't go in the middle of the day mm-hmm. um, unless you wanted to be by yourself. You... People want to go in the morning when they're going to cook and clean and drink, or they're going to go at night when they ran out of water. Um, and also it's colder at both times of the day. If this is the Middle East, which of course it is, then noon is going to be the hot time. And so it's very likely, and I think, this lady did not want to be with other people. Mm-hmm. So as she goes there, she's really anticipating, I want to be by myself. And it doesn't happen. And and just the, I, I won't go into any specifics. I'll, I'll leave a couple things to you there. But um, when Jesus says, can I drink? In verse 9, then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. You can see that this might be a little snarky. She calls him a Jew first. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you're different than me. In verse 11, after Jesus teaches her something, he then calls, she calls him, sir. Mm-hmm. It's a lot different title. He, he, yeah, he's evolved. It's progressing. It keeps going. She calls him sir again in 15. In 19, after he tells her what type of lifestyle she's living, she says, you're a prophet. And then in 25, she says, that's the Messiah. 29, that's the Christ. He, will, he goes from Jew to Christ in a handful of verses. Because the more that she understands who Jesus is, her testimony is growing. And you see that at the end of the story, who she goes and shares that with. And and I love that idea that the more time we spend with Jesus, the more you're going to love him. The more you're going to appreciate him because you really know who he is. You're, you, you understand that these types of 
questions when you're like, I'm supposed to be born twice. If you just dismiss that, you will miss out on what is to come. Mm -hmm. And and I really feel that with with our relationships with the Savior and and certainly with the Spirit, too, that the more you can ask, what else? What else can I do? And how else can I grow this relationship? There's way more there. Yeah. If we're willing to pay that price. It reminds me of Elder Scott, and you'll remember the year and probably even the (laughs) talk. But when he's talking about revelation and he says, I write it down. And then that night I go to the Lord and I say, hey, this is what I understand so far. Do you have anything else for me? What more do you have for me? This idea that I give the Lord an opportunity to explore it. I think there's also an interesting model here. And you see how the you see how the Lord interacts with maybe a more prototypical a more kind of the stereotypical Jew in Nicodemus. Mm-hmm. You have to be born again. Well, what am I supposed to do? Enter it. And the Savior says no. And, the, and then he just kind of lays it out for him. Yeah. When you get the woman at the well, this is a fringe member, and, and you can see the Savior handling her different. I think there's a great insight to the to the Savior's insight to each of us personally, and also a model to those of us. I, if if you see yourself as being that kind of go to church every Sunday Latter Day Saint who's doing his very best or her very best to live the gospel, if you want to find Jesus, one of the places you're going to find him is with individuals who have identified themselves as fringe or marginalized members. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite Elder Holland talks, and that's hard to, that's, 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 hard, that's hard a big to statement. That down, but one of my very favorites. <laughs> one of my favorites, top 100. <laughs> yeah. One of my very favorites, it, it has to be in the top five, is the, the talk where he, um, is it Songs Unsung? Mm-hmm. When he talks about the, this choir, this, the membership of the church, our choir in the church, needs every member and every time anyone leaves it 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 diminishes everyone else in the choir and there's kind of this at least to me there's this idea here that the savior is saying if you are if you see yourself or find yourself going to church every sunday and kind of within that stereotypical range of latter-day saint what are you doing to call in and reach out to those that don't feel comfortable with us because that's where the Savior is going to find himself. That's where the Pharisees are going to find him over and over and over again. Who's he eating dinner with? Who's he spending the night? You know, whose house is he staying at? What, where is the Savior? The Savior is constantly with those who have been ostracized, which I think also, you know, you mentioned her starting out that phrase Jew. I think this is a, this is a woman and, and a society, as Samaritans in a whole, but this is a woman who's had an experience with Jews. She's been at that that size. And frankly, of, with men. Yes, and 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 she's she's. She, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to read into it, but there's some trauma here. Mm-hmm. There's there's some there's a backstory here, and you watch how the Savior gently works her through that trauma and that experience. And I think as we reach out to, as we get better at reaching out to individuals who have who have felt marginalized whether that's by their own choosing or because of something's happened in their past, we're going to, we'll, this, this story will be a model of how we can gently over a course of time. The Savior does it in a matter of one conversation. This could be weeks or months or even years for us, for us working with individuals who, who find themselves in a situation similar to this, this woman. Don't, don't you love then in verse 6 when he, it's Jacob's well? Jacob's Israel. Well, Samaritans, I know that they're kind of a mix and stuff of everything else, but they're partly Israelite. Israel. Yeah, they are Israel, and so isn't it a cool idea that he's like, this is a good place to help gather Israel? Yep. 
And I'm gathering it all together. I, I think that's a cool just starting block. And there's the 20, 21st century Latter-day Saints who are reading this. I, my understanding is, is that we've kind of moved away from this idea of being adopted into the house of Israel. A couple of patriarchs that I've talked to have said, ah, some of the instructions that they've received and some of the things that, that are being taught. At this point, Israel has been so successfully scattered throughout the world. Everybody has some Israelite blood in them. Now is the time to gather them. And now we're going to gather them. And, and we're not adopting in this idea that, you know, some people don't have any Israelite blood. And that Now, I don't have a problem with the law of adoption, but I sure love the idea that all of God's children have some Israelite blood in them. And, and so our call to gather Israel is to gather everyone. There's there's no are you or aren't you or, or anything else. It, it, everybody is Israel now. Um, one, I guess my last thought, my, the thing I love about the woman at the well uh, is at the very end, when she comes to her own testimony that he is Christ, verse 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way. And I think we mentioned this last week when we talked about the fishermen leaving their nets mm -hmm. and, and her leaving her water pot. I just think that there are things, sometimes they're worldly duties. I, I think about young men and young women who leave their water pot of school and sometimes scholarships or a good job to go into the mission field. Uh, I think some, you know, individuals who, who leave or step away from their water pots for a time to go to the temple. Um, people who set their water pots down every seven days to keep the Sabbath day holy. Um, you know, and, and sometimes we set those water pots down. I, I don't know if she comes back to get it later. I assume she does. But it, it, it's not a call to leave your water pot forever. But we all have to set our water pots down. Those worldly pressures and those, you know, her duties that are sitting at home, whether that's to cook or to clean, which is most likely what the water would have been for, she's she's setting that down for a while. And and some we all have to, at some point, set our burdens down. And, and we're reminded of that earlier on in verse 6, remembering that John's purpose is to point out that he's the Son of God and he's divine, but he's also flesh. John points out Jesus being wearied. Even Jesus needed a break. And why, so why do we think that we don't need to, that we don't need one, that we can go, 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 go all the time. Yeah. So set the, set the water pot down and pick up, you know, pick up the chores of Jesus for a while. And then you can go back to the water pot later on. And, and I guess my last thought is this in 14 is Jesus is explaining what the water really is. He says, you would have asked me for a drink. She's like, you have nothing to draw with. And he says, yeah, but the water I'm going to give you you'll never be thirsty again. And she's like, if I don't have to come back to this well, then uh -huh. thank you, I will always be there. And in verse 14, where Jesus, uh, well, 13 and 14, Jesus answered and said unto her, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, speaking of the well. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. I, I think this is a great opportunity to, Encourage testimonies. How has Jesus been water for you on a uh, when you needed something to quench your thirst, when you needed to feel like you needed to become clean, when you really needed a break, when you needed to cool off, when you wanted a hot bath, when you wanted whatever it was? That how is Jesus like water for you? And his testimony there that he says it's I will be water springing up, always being there, consistent wherever you go. It's in, it can be inside of you. That's a beautiful part of the testimony of Christ is that you take it everywhere you go. And as you nurture it and take care of it, then it can be a well 
springing, which means you then are sharing with others, which is exactly what the woman does at the end of the story, mm-hmm. that she says she her well gets filled. He, this is a fulfillment of prophecy for her, and then she goes and starts spreading it to everybody else, and Jesus mm-hmm. then spends time in this village teaching. And I love that spreading of the water of the goodness of Jesus. Love it. All right, well, hopefully there's been something there that you can uh, take into your own Come Follow Me study this uh, this upcoming week and hope that it's been uh, helpful in one way or another, whether you're teaching or just perusing these chapters on your own. Thanks for joining us. We'll, uh, we'll see you next week. See you. Well, thanks again for joining us on Take a Second for Come Follow Me. Brother Black and myself want to emphasize that In this episode or any other episode, there's nothing that we've said that is meant to or can in any way be interpreted as the official doctrine or policy or practice of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, Brother Black and myself simply represent two guys that enjoy talking about Scripture and, and our own life experiences as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and hope that in sharing some of our thoughts and, and insights, but certainly our personal opinions and nothing more, that uh, maybe it might open up the scriptures a little bit to you. So thanks again for joining us on Take a Second, and we will see you in our next episode.